Welcome back to another episode of Strictly Outside the Lines. Tonight, I am excited to be interviewing a, a friend of mine, a former co-worker of mine, somebody who I've kind of been stalking on social media for a while now, uh, but finally uh, got the courage to really ask him to come on the show and kind of share with us his experiences and his knowledge. This was an amazing conversation that went so far in so many different ways, and we didn't even really get to touch upon a lot of what I had planned to touch upon, but to, to really just bring it around to you, our, our guest tonight is none other than Lady Rappaport, a licensed mental health counselor. He is amazing at what he does, and he specifically he utilizes rational emotive behavior therapy to change the way his clients feel by changing how they think and to develop unconditional self-acceptance. He works with them on unhealthy and un unhelpful negative emotions and behaviors that are then replaced with healthy and helpful emotions and behaviors, which therefore let them lead a better and really their optimal life. We had a wonderful conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it, so give it a listen. Come on, Steve. We've got D in the carpet. Failure is not an option. It's a problem of motivation, all right? Boy's got a mouth like a cannon, always shooting it off. Yeah, something like that. It's the good stuff. And here we go! Shake it back! <laughs> Does that feel good? Yeah, it rhymes. They're both verbs. It's awesome. So listen to that. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I am really grateful to have on this show somebody who I've known for a while now, but I didn't really have the, the courage to invite up until now. Uh, but my guest today is Levy Rappaport. He is an LMHC, a licensed mental health counselor based out of Crown Heights. He's doing amazing work. I've been following his journey recently on Facebook. Uh, and we're going to talk more about that because that, that's a hot topic that definitely needs to be covered. But first of all, Levy, thank you so much for, for being on the show. It's great to have you here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So just to give a little kind of context and background to the listeners, um, who is Levy? Uh, who's Levy Rappaport? Can you kind of tell us a little bit about your backstory and then what you're doing now? Like, where did you grow up? And then what is it that you do now as a, as a mental health counselor? Well, I grew up on Shluchus in Syracuse, New York. My parents are Shluchum there. They moved there uh, shortly before Shoshana of 1982, if I have that correctly. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a young child, there was no Jewish online school back then, no Shulchan online school. So I went to, you know, Cheder in various places, Granton, Pennsylvania, Toronto, Canada. Um, so still always refer to myself as from Syracuse originally, but yeah. as, as early as fifth grade, I've, I've sampled multiple parts of the country and the world. Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, for me, it was it, St. Louis is my home. It, it, I grew up there the first 12 years of my life. Uh, middle of nowhere, we were the only Chabad family there. Uh, but it, even though I lived for an equal amount of years in Los Angeles, St. Louis is still very much my home. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's I guess it's one of those things like that's where the fondest memories are. But that was also I reflect on this a lot is that for me, being a Chabad guy in a modern Orthodox community allowed me to be outside the lines, which is, as everybody knows, mm -hmm. like that's where this title came from. Uh, so. You know, growing up, like you mentioned, you know, your parents were emissaries. They started a community out there. I imagine there wasn't very much of a community for you to grow up in. Your parents really built it. Um, mm -hmm. How did that influence what you, if it did, what you do now as as a mental health counselor? And, and really, how did you get into mental health counseling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
it did prepare me in many ways, just the, growing up in a, in a house where your father's a rabbi who interacts with all kinds of people did prepare me to a certain extent, you know, just in the awareness of different humans, different ways of, of living and thinking. Uh, definitely, I, I, in retrospect, that uh, certainly helpful. Um, I don't know if it influenced my choice to become, to become a therapist. That's a bit more recent in terms of my personal history, you know, um, having gone through the Chabad Yeshiva system and then wanting to be myself a uh, you know eventually Chabad rabbi and then you know life threw me, threw me a curveball in terms of a, a failed relationship, uh, which included some uh, you know very unpleasant experiences obviously, and then there's some time to reflect and you know heal and work on myself and learn and grow from that. Uh, I began to reflect on what it would be like in that process of my own healing to be on the other side of the couch so to speak or the other side of the of the room. Right. And with the appropriate guidance, I began that journey, uh, which is something I would—I never dreamt I would do. Uh, my friends all thought I went off the deep end for sure. You know, I was going to be, you know, a rabbi. You know, that was the right. or, or 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 a dean of a yeshiva. That was the uh, the destiny that everyone decided I would have. So that's so that's fascinating. I love that because that really goes to the point that, you know, we can have all these plans for our lives. Uh, as I like to say, you know, man plan, God's laugh, God laughs, mm -hmm. right? So, so you were, you were actually going down the route of becoming a rabbi similar to your father and starting a community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. then, yeah. And, and, and life would be that curveball. I began to reevaluate what I wanted to do and how I wanted to live uh, in terms of my career, that is. Um, and this became the, uh, the next step. I began to, you know, kind of put my toes in the water very gradually with the appropriate guidance. I had also initially, you know, been vehemently anti-college, anti-secular education. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a very strange transition. Uh, I had some surprising encouragement from some people who I thought would be very, very uh, disapproving. Uh, that wasn't right. the case. I'm thankful for that. And so it, it became that, that journey that, you know, I started without knowing how far I would go, where it would, where it would end. And it just continued and uh, graduated with my undergraduate degree. Then I went to grad school, you know, all the, all this time wondering how far I would go if I would finish, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the opportunity to become a rabbi would present itself along the way. And I would, you know, jump back on the plan A and, and that didn't happen. Right. And uh, I think I'm thankful in this respect because I believe that um, this happened for a reason. And I'm happy with, with what I do. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, there's already so much there to talk about. I mean, you know, first of all, there's, taking what life has given you the challenges and really seeing it as opportunities. And then there's just that idea of, of flexibility with the life decisions that you're making and not necessarily having to have that, that end goal in sight. Uh, you know, let's, let's, first of all, let's talk about when, you know, life presented you with these challenges, as, as you referenced, taking that and turning it around and using it as an opportunity to do something good. You know, you, you went through challenges, you had certain experiences, um, but you didn't let that knock you down. What what was the mindset behind that? What were some of the maybe the tools or the skill sets that you used to to take you know a, a challenged relationship or a failed relationship, and and use that as you know what can I learn from this? How can I turn that around and start using this to help people? And how can our listeners look at their life and say, hey, you know what? Just because bad things are happening to me right now doesn't mean I have to let that be. What what can I do with this? Yeah, you know, at that time, it was really, the mindset for me then was really just uh, religious coping, you know, faith, trust. Of course, it didn't hurt to have some people in my life who were supportive, 
-hmm. that was that was how I coped. And uh, you know, uh, religious commitment for me definitely coming to study hall, studying Torah. That was certainly a, a solace for me, a refuge from all the uh, tremendous, tremendous anguish and pain that was happening. And that was the tools I had. Uh, I discovered journaling at the time. You know, somehow oh, I don't know how that happened. I picked up a pen and began to write, and it just was like almost like a load off my chest. That was certainly very helpful. Um, so at that time, th what 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 was the most helpful thing to me was you know the religious mindset. Uh, the belief that somehow this will this will somehow end on a, on a, on a survival note, or if not a happy note, at least I'll, I'll come through the side, you know, still alive and well. Right. Um, and then it, it, it really did, you said, you know, it, it did knock me down really, uh, very much so. Um, and the getting up process uh, was another step in terms of recovering, you know, rebuilding myself. Um, and in that context, I don't remember exactly the individuals who encouraged me, but Besides for the religious coping part, I was introduced to psychotherapy, uh, something which I actually been familiarized prior in the course of trying to salvage the relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I continued to use that um, in, in terms of my personal healing. And I, I began to discover that I have two parts to myself, right? There's the part of myself which uh, relates to the religious, deep religious conviction as a coping mechanism. And there's another part of myself that simply wants to feel on a more humanistic sense, a sense of well-being, uh, almost independent of the first, uh, you know, or at least somewhat, somewhat not independent, but somewhat uh, separate in terms of its focus. Right. So it's those two parts came to came, sort of, you know, I was trying to heal both at the same time, and I began to identify uh, different needs, you might say. That's incredible. And so I want to reflect on something you said there is, you know, Two of the things that, that you said that to me were kind of like, these are tools people can take away right away and start doing is, you know, finding those supportive people that when you were going through those challenges, you, you've, I, I don't imagine that they were just there. I imagine that there's to an extent you have to like seek them out. You have to find them. I'm sure. Some of them were mm -hmm. there for you, but also one of the things that we need to do when we're going through challenges, when we're going through life experiences, we need to seek out those people who will be supportive. And one of the things I found with working with people that I've worked with is, not necessarily are our family going to be the ones to support us. Sometimes we have to go beyond our family. And this is not to hate on family, uh, but in reality, we have to get our support from, you know, multiple individuals and multiple types of people. The other thing you said was, you know, having a structured schedule. If your day is just empty and bare and you're just sitting and wallowing in the despair of what's been happening and how things are going wrong, life is not going to move forward. So you have to you know, institute and put in some form of a structured schedule so that you have something to show up to no matter what, because that can break the cycle. Now, as far as journaling, that's something that I recently started myself as well. Um, I found online this thing called, uh, um, I think it's called Mind Journal. It's supposed to be like the, the the ultimate men's journal. And it was okay, but really what I got, what came out of it for me more was it prompted me with certain ideas of things to focus on. It brought to reality that I don't have a bucket list of a hundred things to do, which, okay, so I don't have a hundred things that I want to do, but that should, I should have things that I'm looking forward to and things that I'm working towards, but really just sitting down every day at the end of the day and journaling or at the beginning of the day and journaling and just really emptying ourselves of all that happened and processing that it's very powerful. And I, I don't think enough people um, really tap into that. And what's really interesting when you're talking about how the religious 
aspect uh, to your being really helped you move forward. I think this is something that I've seen a lot, especially coming from a religious background, whether it's Orthodox Judaism, whether it's, you know, Orthodox Catholicism or Christianity. Oftentimes we feel like religion is preventing us from doing things that we feel is the right thing to do. And I don't, I don't believe that that's right. I think on the contrary, you know, let's talk about journaling. You look back in the, you know, Hasidic dynasty and Hasidic history, some of the greatest thought leaders and rabbis and, you know, individuals from our community kept journals. Mm-hmm. Very why avid is that... journalist, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. So the question is like, why, why is that not being taught more? You know, why, what is this, you know, challenge this um, I'm, I'm losing the word, but why is it that when we become more, our religion becomes more organized we start to lose track of the history of it and, and the practices that are neither religious nor non-religious, but they can help it. Yeah, I don't have a good answer to that. <laughs> I think the, <laughs> you know, the, the answer needs to be that we need to learn what things are there that we're not paying enough attention to mm-hmm. uh, and uh, implement those things where they're useful. I don't, you can ask the same question presumably about healthy lifestyle in terms of healthy eating or exercise. You know, right. that was probably something that was very emphasized and maybe wasn't as crucial to talk about before we, you know, developed food that really is not real food. It just tastes like food and it smells like food, but it's just, you know, fake food. Right. So it wasn't as important to talk about perhaps. Maybe it was, uh, you know, for various reasons, less less emphasized or less, more you know, more optional, more of something which was a matter of your preference, whereas we kind of only want to talk about the things that everybody has to do, so to speak, that could be part right. of it. So, okay, so let's flip the question from why, because nobody cares why. The fact of the matter is, it's happening. Our, our, our kids, ourselves, we're not equipped well enough to deal with the challenges that life's throwing at us, when in reality, it's all there. It's all there in Torah. It's in the Bible. It's in mm-hmm. Hasidic philosophy. It's in the Kabbalah, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not being utilized. So mm-hmm. let's flip it from a why to a how. Mm-hmm. How can we start, you know, going back to the source and seeing how it's been utilized? And And again, we can use... Again, I reference this 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 battle that you're going through right now with <laughs> with, with, the, with our wonderful community. With for some reason there is this this opposition to seeing a therapist or a psychotherapist, and people are bringing proof from a religious standpoint. Um, and I've been following you along for the last couple of weeks now, and and you're going toe to toe with these people and showing them no, there there are sources, you know. Wh- what can we do to continue to, to to do that battle? How do we, for ourselves, discover what we need in order to support our religion and support the human side of us? Um, where where can we look for those things, and how do we start implementing that in our life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so there's two parts to that question, I guess, which is why is there an opposition, and then how do mm-hmm. we how do we use our our religious faith and ideas to to better ourselves and improve our mental health. Um, I guess the first point is that the opposition probably comes from a place of fear, right? And, and some, perhaps legitimately so. There's been uh, episodes in our history as a people in the past where disciplines right. that are not based on Torah have been introduced, and they've they've caused a compromise at best, or you know, uh, a, or you know, and uh, a strong decline at worst in terms of religious, you know, commitment. Um, so there's legitimate concern over there, if you will, especially because some of the personalities who promote, promoted, and continue to promote psychotherapeutic ideas don't necessarily uh, preach or encourage religious practice. So there's legitimate concern over there. And 
the importance of having an understanding of which parts, for lack of a better term, of the discipline are not compatible with Judaism versus which parts are is, is absolutely crucial, yeah. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the question of how to use our religious faith and ideas to improve our mental health, it is very true, and I believe this, you know, absolutely so as a religious Jew, that all the answers to all questions are found in the Torah. Right. Um, not in, including, by the way, how to fix your car, if you know where to look for the answer and how to discern it, distill it. Uh, not every individual knows how to find that answer in those scenarios. Right. So to use the two parts to myself that I uh, mentioned earlier, and I, I think I experienced this, and I discovered this on my personal journey over here, especially when I talk to other people who non-religious psychologists who, who became religious, you know, we're coming from different places. They sort of find Judaism so rich and so much more fulfilling and deep than psychology. Fair enough. I came from a different place where, yes, the fulfillment and truth and richness of Judaism is so deep. It's so important, but similar to the idea that maybe physical health, you know, needs to be addressed independently, uh, emotional mental health does as well. And then the journey for the religious Jew then is to incorporate that journey into his religious journey, but it does deserve its own independent attention. Uh, so, you know, it could be a long-winded answer for you, but, you know, uh, that's the way I believe, I believe that the best thing we can do is to create a healthier sense of, uh, our most basic human part that can then make us most, most healthfully uh, likely to maximize the benefit of our religious part. Right. So, so essentially pretty much on a daily basis, a person has to do in, in the morning, uh, self-accounting, where am I holding today physically? Where am I holding today emotionally, mentally, behaviorally? How, how am I going to proceed further? If I'm not in an emotionally good place, I, I need to find a way of getting there before I go to work, before I show up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm an open book about my family and about my mm -hmm. life and what I've experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's important because people need to hear that. They need to know that this exists. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's interesting because one of the things that my, one of the arguments that my father and I had um, mm -hmm. argument, debate, whatever you want to call it, uh, he was coming from a place where, like you said, all the answers that you need are straight up in Torah and Chassidus. Mm -hmm. You don't need to go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. My, I agreed with that. However, I didn't see those sources. I was not a person who was trained to be able to see everything. But if I went and read Napoleon Hill, you know, mm -hmm. you know how, how to win friends and influence people, think and grow rich. Sure, mm -hmm. think and grow rich. You know, I, was, I think it was the Reb Marash or the Reb Shab that said, you know, think good and it'll be good. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing, mm -hmm. but we haven't packaged it well enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is one of those things that's really missing from our life and from our upbringing. I do want to uh, reference. Yeah. If a, I can a, add a, to that. Sure. Yeah, please. Just if a person has having a, a deficiency of water, a dehydration, right? So in order for them to be able to, you know, pray with the proper concentration, you want to get a drink of water. Right. Now, all humans, whether you're a religious Jew or not, experience discomfort with dehydration. And all humans will benefit from a glass of water in that context to reduce discomfort. Right. Now, the, the, the same thing is true for emotional discomfort. And there's hmm. ways to correct that. And the answer, now, the, the answer you know, not necessarily is, is, is immediately observed from Torah knowledge, right? When it comes to a glass of water, it's pretty obvious. When it comes to emotional regulation, 
as well, the answer can be found in what you may call a non-Torah source. Of course, in both scenarios, it's the expectation of the observant, the devout Jew to think about the idea of why it's important to uh, reduce that discomfort and be hydrated is because it's all part of the purpose of carrying out your religious obligations. The same thing applies to emotional discomfort. Nonetheless, they still perhaps can uh, be obtained in, in, in a context that doesn't immediately uh, present itself as a religious idea. Hmm. Can you, so can you, if I'm having an anxiety, yeah. if I'm having anxiety over financial distress, right? A tremendous amount of anxiety because I don't feel financially safe. The way to alleviate that anxiety can be to influence myself to have a deeper sense of faith in the creator's ability to provide. It can also be to think more rationally about exactly how bad my predicament seems to be versus what reality says. Right. So there are occasions where the emotional discomfort, whether it's a financial anxiety or a deep emotional pain over a parent rejection or anything of that nature, where the solution can be found in what you might call the, the uh, typical human knowledge that not, not necessarily is Torah knowledge. Right. right? So it's our obligation to then use those ideas effectively in the awareness of how the Torah wants us to use those ideas. Right. So the answer is not necessarily within religion itself, but it's more right. of how we take this Torah knowledge and apply it right. to our life, because we are, after all, humans, and God created us that way. Right. Right. So, so both Jew and non-Jew are experiencing difficulty with their physical health. They both go to a chiro, they, you know, a doctor or whatever nutritionist is going to be. They they both go if it's an emotional health issue. They both go to a therapist, perhaps. So there's a lot of similarity in terms of the context and how to improve the health. And yet there may be a difference in terms of the underlying thematic purpose of it all. Right. But the structure is very similar. So, so yes, there is a there is an external similarity, but there's a deep down difference in terms of the essential purpose. Right. So from the perspective of, of faith and, and creating income, for example, a person can go to a job to make money. And the, the reason why they're going to the job is because they want to make money. They want to bring home an income. Or if you go based off of, you know, Shahar Batalchan, you know, the gate of trust, the, the faith-based approach is the money I make comes from God. I have to show up to work because me showing up to work is creating a vessel for God. But at the end of the day, what I make is determined and many ways predetermined by him but either way you still have to show up the work i can have all the faith in the world but if i'm not doing the work then i'm not going to see the results i can have faith that god is going to heal me but if i'm not going to the doctor it ain't going to happen so i can have faith that torah tells me how to heal emotionally how to heal mentally but if i'm not seeking out that professional help then i'm not necessarily going to get there on my own because i am not trained as we know in how to take Torah and take the interpretation. So we need to go to somebody who is trained. And as it's been said, and you could probably quote the source better, I know I'm sure there's letters from the Rebbe and I'm sure there, there's halachic sources, Jewish law-based sources that will say that, you know, God has granted the physician with the ability to heal. The healing comes from God, mm -hmm. but it's through the channel of the physician. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a good point you make. And uh, there's actually a, a, a very uh, uh, rich letter of the of the Lubavitcher Rebbe where he emphatically writes to a psychiatrist in Toronto, I believe, that he does uh, uh, consider a mental health practitioner a doctor in, in terms of the Torah's definition of such. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's incredible. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's important to also, you know, the, the people sometimes will 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 miss the point here because studying Torah in all aspects, whether it's the Torah teachings about improving your sense of mental health and stability in terms of faith or whatever other areas or just general areas of Torah does lend a person increased sense of mental and emotional health. People will then say, well, in that case, that's all we need. There's no need right. to, to add anything to that. There's no need to address, uh, how do I say this politically correctly? Maybe I can't. There's no need to address <laughs> the part of the Jew which externally seems similar to the non-Jew. That doesn't have to be talked about. We don't have to address the mental health, emotional health of that part of the person. That's incorrect. Right. So let's let's talk about this because this is, I mean, it's a hot topic. It's been for a while now, this idea of mental health. And it's interesting because as I've told you and everybody who listens knows, I will push on anything. Like I, I will push the bar, I'll push the envelope. I will I will push back. I like to cause controversy because I like people to have conversation. And recently I've been having a lot of you know conversations at synagogue with other men from our community, from the Orthodox Jewish religious community. And the, what I've been hearing a lot from most men who consider themselves to be manly men this idea of mental health and seeking help is it's a farce we don't need it what do i need it for i'm a man it's my job to just man up and deal with it or to not care about the challenges but i also found that people just don't simply understand truly what what mental health is so can you speak for, to that for you know a couple minutes about what what is mental health from a human a humanistic approach so to speak and then from more of a spiritual religious approach what what like if we could define it? What what is it? How do you define mental health? You know what is a healthy human being, <laughs> right? You know uh, what is a healthy human body, right? It's functioning optimally, right? There's mm -hmm. no deficiencies. It's 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 getting all the adequate nutrition. It's getting all the adequate uh, you know resources it needs to be a healthy body. The uh, the the healthy uh, emotions and healthy mental state. Is, is very similar, right? It's the optimal functioning, if you will, the most ideal state, how a person can be with the least amount of discomfort, with the least amount of uh, friction, with the least amount of uh, discontent, right? So when we're in that state and we're experiencing that sense of equilibrium uh, with a healthy degree of moving through life and, and experiencing what we want to experience, the way a healthy human is meant to, by having the experience, depending on our developmental stage, obviously, uh, and and having those experiences in a happy way, in a content way, in a way we're enjoying the sense of stability, we're enjoying the sense of growth, we're enjoying the sense of challenge, we're appreciating the process. All that is uh, is what you call mental and emotional health. You know, to, to sum it up, mm -hmm. I do want to uh, say that it's quite surprising to me. Well, two things. First of all, the idea you mentioned about males being reluctant to acknowledge the validity of mental health is a problem in all communities, not just in right. the Jewish community. For sure. Ironically, in our community, it's the most surprising to me. Because if it's true, when it comes to the need to develop, internalize, and experience what we call the godly soul and its mission, we all acknowledge the need to have a mentor. We all acknowledge right. the need to have a certain discipline you follow, how to work with those challenges, how to reduce the difficulties, how to implement that. There's no reason to assume that would be any different with the other parts of ourselves. So it's it's in a way surprising to me that our community has this issue. You would think that 
uh, you know, besides the religious challenge mentioned earlier, but the idea that from a perspective of manliness is some kind of, uh, you know, uh, something to be embarrassed about, about having to, to address our mental health is quite uh, disappointing. So that's what really gets me because the, the, again, that's one of those things where you see, like for me, it's always about go back to the source. You look at Hasidic philosophy, where did it start with? It started with a gentleman by the name or a rabbi by the name of Yisrael Baal Shem, right? The master of the good name. And his thing, his basic thing in life was to love a fellow, to love even the simple person, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, if a person is practicing Hasidic life, but they are not having that basic concept of loving a simple fellow and appreciating even the simple fellow, then are they truly practicing properly? So yes, we have within our teachings, this, this idea of a mentor, and we've spoken about it before on the show. But the question is, are the ones who are the mentors, are they really qualified? Do they know what it means to be a mentor? What are they mentoring the person in? Are, are they sending them down the right path? Or are they sending them down the path of this is the path that I believe is the right path, despite that it's not what's best for you. For me personally, mm -hmm. I have a multiple of these mentors. I have somebody who I go to when I want to be challenged religiously and spiritually, because I know he's going to push me beyond my comfort zone. I have somebody who's kind of more level and he's able to see kind of all perspectives. And, and I have somebody who I go to for marriage questions. I have somebody who I go to for personal questions. I'd love to have them all packaged in one, but I mm -hmm. found that it, it's, it's very hard to have that. Mm -hmm. It is my responsibility to find that person. It is my resp responsibility to not just kind of settle and, and go with what's within the comfort zone. But I've also found, especially, you know, in high school, which is kind of where we we're really first introduced to this idea of a mashpia, a mentor, mm -hmm. they're really there to, at least from my personal experience, to push an agenda, which is mm -hmm. wake up on time, mm -hmm. you know, do your morning prayers, do this learning, do that learning, do well academics. You have to wear your white shirt, your black pants. Mm -hmm. There's no other way. You have you have to be this factory-made penguin. When in reality, well, what are the unique experiences that I'm going through, the challenges that I'm facing? Maybe it's maybe the response should be different. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually happy to hear that recently. I've heard from people who are attending the high school that I went to that things are actually done differently now and that mm. now they're a little... Uh, Yeshiva Oral Chanon Chabad, Yoak, great uh -huh. old Yoak. I was there as well. I was there as well. Yeah. So I think that's where we actually Best first years met. of my life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I knew so, that. I'm just making sure you remembered. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for challenging my memory. Now I'm second guessing myself. <laughs> but the thing is, like, so they have grown. They have adapted. But that's also mm -hmm. because the individuals who are there now in those roles mm -hmm. have changed, and they're coming from this place mm -hmm. of, you know, really thinking about what is the individual need, and so their mm -hmm. progress is is a it's a challenging word because progress mm -hmm. can be used in a really bad way. But at the same time, it's something that has to be constantly on our mind. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, to be fair to the mentors in the context you're referring to, the mashpiyam as they're called, mm -hmm. you know, it, it is their job to, to come with an agenda that there is a truth. And I'm trying to help you access that truth. In, 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 the, in the therapy office, you almost collaborate with the client to create whatever truth you want, right? The truth is, you know, whatever you want to believe it is, and I'll help you get there as long as it doesn't, you know, go against any basic societal values. Um, it's not my job as a therapist, at least not in the world of psychotherapy, to convince this individual to close his business on Shabbos, on the Sabbath, right? Uh, it, is, it is the mentor's job in, the con in this context to convince them that's the right thing to do. So there is, there is, an, there is a legitimacy to, the, to where they're coming from. And for them to balance that with the individual's needs can be even more challenging than for a therapist because, you know, 
like like any classic Chabad rabbi who's involved in outreach, you want to make sure you're presenting the truth as opposed to other other brands of Judaism who water the truth down, right? You want to present right. the truth to them in a way that you motivate them to approach the truth without compromising the truth. And as a therapist, that's a little different. They don't have, we don't have to do that, right? You know, so so. So uh, can you explain that a little more about what the role of a therapist is? And, and actually, if you can go into as you understand it, um, what is a therapist? What does a therapist do? How do they differ from a counselor? What does a counselor do? And then as a coach, what does a coach do? Because I have my personal thoughts on that and the way I kind of differentiate between the three of them based off of my experiences. I've gone to therapists. I've gone to counselors. I've had coaches. I've also been a coach for a while. Uh, but I, I'd be very interested to hear from your professional, your personal and professional um, experience. What is the role of a therapist? How does it differ from, let's say, a counselor? or a coach. Yeah, so we may be using some terminologies over here differently because, I mean, the term psychotherapist, well, well therapist can be used to, to even refer to people who do speech therapy, so it's not related to mental health, almost right. uh, not at all. But so we'll focus on mental health. Yeah, so psychotherapist is a general term which covers somebody who uses, you know, the, the science of um, human behavior, thinking, and feeling uh, to help the person heal and become more healthy, right? And it's a very general term, obviously. Um, it's not a, it's, there's no license called psychotherapist in any of the states. Uh, the various okay. licenses people carry that, 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 they, that they have when they practice psychotherapy can either be a licensed psychologist, a psychiatrist, social worker, marriage family therapist, or licensed mental health counselor, such as myself. So a counselor is one type of therapist. Mm -hmm. A lot of the difference is really just um, political, you might say, because these different licenses started from different places, the medical model, the social model, individual model psychologists started off as, you know, uh, cognitive testing experts, they study language memory, but they all converged eventually to a place where today almost everyone does everything except for psychiatrists, they prescribe medication, which that, that's unique, obviously. Right. So if I show you or even the world's greatest therapists, videos of people practicing psychotherapy with either with couples, with uh, alcoholics, with children who are artistic and have them guess based on that, are, is this person a counselor or a psychologist, psychiatrist, the person won't know. There's no way to differentiate yeah. that. Yeah. So education is somewhat different, but what we do is the same. So it's interesting because like, and I will go back to what you said previously, um, and you'll correct me if I'm saying it in the wrong way, but it seemed like what you were saying is that your role as a therapist is to, to help the individual almost as if it's with their perceived truth or their perceived reality. Mm -hmm. um, but what they want to believe is the truth. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, within within certain social norms. I imagine that's where some of the pushback from a religious community would come from where, well, no, it's not your reality is a truth, but there's only, there's only one truth and there's only one reality that you have to fit into. Am I understanding what you said correctly or does it need to be tweaked a little bit? Um, so it's, it's a good question. Every situation is so, so different because, you know, when a therapist, when you say a therapist helping an individual, uh, that may be somebody who is having anxiety about a decision whether or not to purchase a home. It could be somebody who's dealing with the, the buried pain about abuse as a child. Those are two very different circumstances, right. but they're both addressed through, 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 this, through the science of psychotherapy, the science and the art you know, of, uh, of psychotherapy. Um, in terms of an individual who comes to a, a therapist and the pushback in terms of what that may, may differ from a mentor, yeah, there's truth to that. Uh, if I understood your, what you said correctly, mm -hmm. then you know that that is that is that is um, that is legitimate. A person who's having doubts, if he wants to be religious, for example, right? right? And he comes to a mentor. The mentor's job is to help him 
the mentor's perspective, the mentor's job is to help him increase his motivation to maintain his religious conviction. The therapist's job is to help the person understand what the, the parts inside of himself, for lack of a better term, the parts, the parts inside of himself that are pulling in each direction, understand where that's coming from and how to come to a resolution that's going to make him feel content and feel happy. So if the, if the mentor comes away from the meeting with the uh, mentoree deciding to keep his religious conviction because he simply believes deep down that's the right thing, that ultimately it'll be good for him, even though he's miserable, the mentor, fear, the mental, the mentor feels that the meeting was a success. Uh, for the therapist, that not necessarily is, is the case. It could be true that he's coming away with a with a decision to stay religious from an unhealthy place, and then it's the right. mentor's job if he's an observant Jew, talk to his own mentor about what, yeah. how he should handle that exact situation, so that what he's doing to help this person is the focus rather than what he believes is the focus. And it's helpful to have a mentor, of course, who is an observant Jew and extremely familiar with mental health. So I guess I'll, I'll phrase this, phrase this differently, and let me know if it, if it rings true. It seems to me almost like what you're saying is a therapist or a counselor. Their goal is to help an individual understand why they're feeling what they're feeling towards both sides of the spectrum and help them to process that so that then they can make the correct decision. Would that be correct? Yeah, basically, okay. simplest, in the simplest form, yeah. Right, very simplistic. So it's interesting that you bring this up because, or you mentioned that because to me, I had a, an individual I was working with years ago who, when we started working together, wasn't even, it was just started out as a conversation. But then it turned into a working relationship. And what I realized was this person was no interest in being religious whatsoever. They were not going to keep to it at all. Mm -hmm. And I know that in a role of a mentor or a coach, seemingly religiously, I should be pushing them to maintain their religiosity. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that that would actually be the right thing. So I reached out to a counselor that I knew. I knew who was specifically a counselor, but also a, a religious individual. And he said something to me, which has stuck with me to this day. He said, it's, it, it's what, what is going to help this person have the, the highest success rate for being a religious Orthodox Jew? If I push them into a direction or encourage them to go in a direction to maintain that religiosity, what's going to happen? Well, at the end of the day, I knew he wasn't going to listen. And chances are, I would end up losing this person as a friend, as a colleague, as whatever it may be. Whereas if I did not say go one way or the other, but rather what do you need in your life right now? What what would happen there? And I felt that there was more of a chance that if I didn't push the religious envelope and let them make those decisions on their own, but kind of like you said, understanding why are you going down this route, there was more of a chance of them maintaining that religious religiosity. So sure enough, that's what I did. I did not push the religious envelope. I questioned them as to why that was their thinking. Um, they went the direction that they went, but they ended up finding a greater appreciation for their religiosity and for their spirituality, even though they're no longer religious, as we would say, but because there was that freedom to make that decision on their own. And I think that's something that's missing a lot nowadays from our mentors and, uh, you know, whether counselors or not, but, but from our community, it, it, there's so much... We're so focused on, no, you have to be this way. This is, the religion is more important than who we are as an individual. And to kind of reflect back on a post you you shared, I don't remember how, it was fairly recently, but it was a post originally from 2021 where you mentioned a, a rabbi's son um, 
was speaking about how the community growing up, the community came before family. And that's something having worked with many of these rabbis and in their communities, it, I've seen it myself. And, and it's a problem where we put, you know, again, faith, family, finances, fitness. So those are my, my four pillars and that's the order, right? <laughs> faith has to come first, then family, um, then you work on your finances and then your fitness. But oftentimes we reverse that. We, we put it in the way of, well, because faith has to come first, therefore family is secondary, but we never really address family. And that's something yeah. that we have to change. And we have to ask ourselves these real serious questions about it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, mean, I have some things I notes I took here I wanted to go back to, but just uh, to, to say something uh, quite controversial, which is, which is fine. Go the, for it. Uh, the, you know, the father who's so busy with his uh, hedge fund business and he's doing it day and night. And so he's neglecting his family. And so the uh, the rabbi mentor is talking about the importance of your family has to come before your business and before even your personal life goals because your kids are the most important thing. That's true when your hedge fund is a Chabad organization. You, when, when your career moves from Wall Street to uh, to the religious sector, your family doesn't take a second a, a backstage, or, or you know a back seat. And so this idea that 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 uh, you know the neglectful father whose head is buried in the newspaper, not paying attention to his family, that newspaper can be a page of Talmud. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying to, to be to clarify, what you're saying is that religiosity does not give you permission to now put your family secondary. Absolutely not. If they okay. feel that way, then there's there's something's wrong because right. we're not expected uh, by the powers that be to choose between you know. Our purpose in life and our family it's part of the right. purpose and there's a lot of awareness thankfully out there that that's that's the case in fact but it has yet to be implemented in all in all in all contexts right. and, and i will say that as much as we talk about the problems let's say um i have noticed and i've been having multiple conversations with multiple people recently about this topic and this idea and they are pointing out that things are slowly but surely shifting mm -hmm. for the better so i do want to acknowledge that um, but again, I, I personally, there are people who say to you, don't, don't look at the negative and only focus on the positive. I think you can only focus on the positive once you've react, you know, once you've realized that there is in fact some negative. So that's why I bring yeah. these things up. Yeah. And things are moving in a positive direction. I'll share with you that I actually, um, sat with the staff, uh, the mentors and my as we call them in the high school of Oltero and he's Flatbush. And mm -hmm. I, you know, we spent an hour discussing, what a therapist is, what mental health is, and the role of a therapist versus a mashpia mentor, and how the two can, you know, uh, address two different concerns and work together. And it was quite well received, thankfully. Uh, so, so things are moving in that direction. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So, I yeah. do have to ask: Have you seen a difference since kind of this whole Facebook battle? It's not the Facebook battle; it's the battle that's been posted on Facebook. As far because <laughs> I know at some point you even distributed. Uh, packets and, and you know pamphlets throughout the community and people were taking it off the table and whatnot have you seen improvement in in that area or is it still something get, that's kind of ongoing i get a, you know i get a lot of positive feedback most people who are encouraging don't post their views uh, on the on, online you know it's mostly the, the people who are less encouraging right. um but there is a lot of awareness today both you know because of the professionals who are trying to raise awareness and just individuals from their personal experiences are trying to raise awareness there's a lot of awareness today in terms of you know emotional stability stability mental health all those things and so you know that article particularly was my my uh, attempt to explain in the clearest terms the benefit of psychotherapy 
including for somebody who has great religious conviction, devotion, and 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 really lives, you know, uh, walks the walk, if you might say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I was disappointed that that one of the uh, uh, websites in our community, which often promotes uh, or or dispels the need, you know, kind of makes fun of the need of mental mental health awareness was unwilling to publish it mm-hmm. you know, their excuse was that uh, it had been an earlier version had been published some time about a year and a half prior by crown and info and so they said we don't want to republish something but it was right. really a redone and it was but it was worthy of a second chance if you might say on this website because of this website's you know one-sided perspective they published some sort of you know uh watered down response that was not right. not i think you know uh worthy uh, of 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 uh, counting the opposition, you might say. So um, that was an attempt. Um, th- when I had to publish it at a hard copy, uh, that was my attempt to kind of you know spread the word and increase the awareness. And I think that right. um, there are people, unfortunately, who are suffering because uh, the people that they live with or care about are refusing to get the help they need mm-hmm. uh, because of this misunderstanding. And I want to I want to you know dispel that notion. Right. So we're running out of time now, and there's a lot more to discuss. So we might just have to schedule round yeah. two. I want to fi- finish up with a couple more questions. So um, the last question before we get to the two last questions um, is when and how does a per- when should a person seek professional help? What are kind of some of the things to look for if they're experiencing in life that they say like, and it's not necessarily that there's something wrong with them, but like, hey, this is going on. What are kind of the signifiers for a person to say, you know what, it's probably best for me to reach out to a counselor or a mental health counselor or a therapist? And then how do they go about finding the right individual? I mean, obviously, they're always welcome to contact you and we'll put your information in the description. (laughs) But what are kind of like the things to look out for? Like, hey, maybe now is time to reach out to somebody. Yeah, That's a great question. Right. Um, You know, the question is, what's the point of desperation? What's the point of benefit? I mean. It's very rare that one human won't benefit from reflect, re- reflecting their ideas off another human, getting feedback, and gaining more awareness of what's happening intrapersonally. Um, it's very rare that that experience is not even better when the other person is trained in terms of right. how to do that for them. Uh, in terms of when it's, when, it's, when it's not just beneficial but important to reach out, when a person consistently realizes that they're hitting roadblocks, they're not making progress, they're just consistently either unhappy, intrapersonally inside themselves, or socially, they're not making progress, and they just keep hitting walls, that's when you want to sort of, you know, go to somebody else and ask, what, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? There's something, I have a blind right. spot here, right? You know. So and I'll I, add a part two to that, because it just popped into my mind. What if somebody's in a relationship with somebody else and they're experiencing challenges in their relationship and their partner is not open or up to going to see to seek help? Is it okay for the, that individual on their own to go out and seek help? Or is that betrayal to their partner? No, absolutely. It's important to do so. It'll make you a better partner. It'll help you handle your partner better. You know, like uh, <laughs> I have this friend who sends me all these like little, you know, things that make fun of therapist or therapy, you know, or and so right. one of them says, uh, I'm in therapy to deal with somebody who refuses to go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so absolutely, you know, it, 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 relationships can a relationship consists of two individuals, 
And mm -hmm. if one of them is going to improve their sense of individual health, that will help the relationship. Um, make the relationship more manageable, more pleasant. It could also have the opposite impact where what, two very unhealthy people um, are, are, are kind of in the same arena doing the mm -hmm. same unhealthy dance and one right. of them suddenly becomes healthy, looks at the other person and says, who are you? I don't feel, right. I don't feel comfortable here anymore. That happens sometimes, you know, when you have an unhealthy person marries an unhealthy addict, the addict gets help, becomes a healthy individual and the other person suddenly seems like some, you know, foreigner. Yeah, that can right. Be. So that's a whole discussion for another time. Um, right. We'll have yeah. to leave it for that. But I got two more questions. But before we do that, um, what's the best way for people to to reach you, follow you, get more information about who you are, what you do, um, mm -hmm. social media, anything like that? Yeah. The only social media I have is Facebook. I'm an old soul, you know, so okay. <laughs> I'm a dinosaur, you might say, in that sense. I didn't I don't you know, have any of the other ones. But, uh, uh, you know, in terms of contact, my my. Uh, Email address is Levi at RappaportCounseling.com, L-E-V-I, or sorry, Levi, I could say Levi on this podcast, right? L-E-V-I yeah. at R-A-P-O-P-O-R-T Counseling.com. Uh, my phone number is uh, 609-PSYCH-18. Nice. Okay. And we'll put all that in the in the yeah. description below as well. Um, okay. So last round of two questions, either two questions that I ask anybody that I have on the show, um, most of the time it trips them up because they weren't expecting it and I keep forgetting mm -hmm. to, to brief you on it. So right, the first thing is the first thing is pretty <laughs> simple. Um, if if you could give any piece of advice or one piece of advice to anybody, what would that be? What is the one thing you think people need to know most? You know, if you keep going, you will get there. It's not an infinite road. There's such a thing as an infinite road. It eventually. It ends. And that could either be to a positive or that could be to a negative. So if you keep going down the negative route, you'll get to the negative. Right. But... Well, I was thinking the positive. Sense, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? I'm not saying the road is easy. I'm not saying sometimes right. the potholes are too, you know, the, the potholes are too big or the hills are too high. But for us to believe that the road is the road is never ending, so to speak, that's right. that's not the case. We need the, we need the right the right gear, the right climbing gear, right. or whatever it is to overcome the obstacles. But so so putting in the work will get you to the results yeah. eventually. It's not yeah. an infinite. Okay, excellent. I love that. That's actually really good. Um, not that I'm surprised. The last one, the last question, the final question before we wrap up, um, is as follows: What is one conversation that you believe? people need to be having that either they're not having or they're not having this conversation enough of what is a challenging conversation that more people need to be talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think the conversation people need to be having discussing is as follows. What are the important conversations for us to have? <laughs> that is the important conversation. What is the thing we need to be talking about that we're avoiding? Right? What is the thing we're dancing around, talking around, that we're not willing to, to speak about, right? That's that's the most important conversation to have. And that's true with our conversation with ourselves, with our partners, with our families, with our communities, and with our world. Well, on that note, welcome to the conversation. Thank you very much. I'd say that was a pretty successful broadcast.